Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. To get you through the holiday week, check out theringer.com for our July streaming recommendations, analysis on the U.S. women's national team during the World Cup, and takeaways from an exciting start to NBA free agency. Also, we'll be sticking to our regular podcast schedule, so make sure to tune in to your favorite shows throughout the week as usual. What's going on, Jabronis? It's Pitch Mr. Perfect, Skylar Aston. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard. Gross Battle Season 1 champion, Mike Lawrence. The king of sad stop. The Silver Lake heartthrob. It's Trey Kirby. It's Nick Mundy. This is your girl, WWE Superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks. Hey, this is WWE Superstar, Braun Strowman. My name's Kevin Owens. I'm Shinsuke Nakamura. Zach Linder. Dan Black, a.k.a. the Goofaraja. I'm AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening. You're listening to this. You're listening to. You are listening to. You're listening. You're listening to the Masked Man Show. 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 Welcome to the Masked Man Show. I'm your host, David Shoemaker. Happy July 4th holiday weekend. Long weekend. Maybe you're just still at work. I don't know. I'm here in the studio with my dear friend, Zach Linder. How you doing, Zach? I don't have to talk about Al Horford, do I? No, you do. You actually do. Two-thirds of the show is going to be about NBA oh, free agents. Oh, great. A lot of, lot of, it was a big, like a surprisingly big wrestling week. Yeah, Brian Dipperstein was on the Masked Man show. Well, that was, yes, last week. But also, but since then, maybe there's, maybe he just changed the, changed the tenor of everything else that's going on. Um, We had Fighter Fest, which ended up being a pretty significant AEW pay-per-view. We'll hit that uh, later on in the show. And then, but I think, um... I don't know. I feel like like Twitter, our our group chat, uh, Reddit, everything was a little bit more awake this week, and I think that a lot of that had to do with what what with Paul Heyman. Yeah, uh, a lot to do with Paul Heyman. Um, you made you made the point, uh, and Eric Bischoff. You made the point on our Jew World Order text group when things were kind of blowing up, things were getting pretty active yeah. and heated. Um, you made the point. Wow, that the Jew World Order is watching wrestling. Yeah. As it's happening <laughs> on Monday night, I was I was watching Raw. I mean, I don't always watch you know live Raw, uh, but I was watching the you know for, for the first. I was watching live for the first half or so, and yeah, our text group is just like everybody was chiming in. I was like, "What is going on?" It's been so long since we've been like everybody's been like watching. Well, we at the haven't same been time. excited. Wrestling hasn't yeah. been good. Only Greg watches every week. So the bi- <laughs> so the big news the big news since we've last recorded the show is that um, WWE announced, or actually Sports Illustrated announced, and WWE confirmed that Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff are taking over as executive producers of Raw and SmackDown respectively. Now, unbelievable. For it is rather shocking that Heyman is coming back. I mean, we'll, we'll touch on we'll touch on both them separately. Shocking that Heyman's getting this job. More shocking I think that Bischoff is back in the fold for a couple of reasons. Well, yeah, I mean, okay, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, listen, it, it is sort of a Vince McMahon caricature that like they need someone to EP a TV show and the only person he can think of is a guy that used to run another wrestling TV show like over a decade ago. Yeah, I made the point to uh, Kevin Cerrito on on his wrestling show on Memphis Radio that um, I think Bischoff is going to be needed for a lot of politicking here with the Fox executives. You know, the, the WWE product right as it stands right now is not the product that Fox bought. Uh, when they bought those TV rights, 
So yeah. I think that they're going to need a lot of egos being stroked, a lot of fears being assuaged and, and things like that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we talk about Vince all the time, but even, I mean, it's not just him. There's, there's a whole, uh, the, I mean, the, the front office of WWE is much bigger than Vince McMahon, especially when it comes to these sorts of relationships. And, you know, Fox has, I'm sure, been in touch with Triple H, with Stephanie McMahon, with Michelle Wilson, with George Barrios. Like, there's all these people who work uh, on the kind of corporate side day in and day out that are more and Kevin Dunn, obviously, too, Kevin on the Dunn production too. side. Uh, but I mean, I, I don't think this isn't specifically taking taking responsibility off of Vince's plate. But I think you're right. That's when the hire sort of came into focus because Eric Bischoff worked with the big network at his WCW days, has been producing TV ever since. So he knows how this kind of stuff goes. Um, he will be a good person to have in that role. Um, even still, the more he has to do in relationship with Fox, the less it seems like it's feasible for him to be, quote, running the show in any, you know, actually like being a functional SmackDown EP in any sort of creative sense. Well, he was doing that in WCW. Sure, right? he was, but he shouldn't. I mean, like, that, he that's, shouldn't what, have been, right? that's what we, I mean, not like him particularly, but that's the knock on Vince or anybody else. It's just too big of a job for one person. And even doing one show and handling the office side of it is probably too big of a job for one person. But all that said, shocking that Eric Bischoff is suddenly back in the fold to do this. Uh, it is also, I guess, on the Paul Heyman side, it's shocking that he got the official nod. Now, people who know the the, the inner workings of WWE know that Paul Heyman has never, despite his his being hired and fired and relieved of duty and not and working without a contract and whatever else over the years, he's never that far from the center of of gravity or the center of power when it comes to WWE. I guess that's true, yeah. But when he came back in 2012. Uh, specifically to manage Brock Lesnar, it was as a talent. Yeah. And there was even this big point made, I remember in his DVD documentary, that, oh, he's back, but he's he's just a talent, and this way he can really just focus on performing mm -hmm. and cutting great promos, and he doesn't have to worry about booking every week and and the creative and appeasing Vince and working with well, the writers. I think that that's, I think that there's some, some real wisdom to that. And I think that it's it's difficult for someone who has as many different talents as Paul Heyman to focus on, you know, one of those things and to be happy and whatever else while he's doing it. But, um, you know, maybe this will be an opportunity to focus on a different thing. And probably despite the fact that we're going to later on talk about our top Heyman moments of all time. And and but, Paul Heyman to me is a really important guy. Yeah. Because just speaking very personally, my two favorite wrestling personalities are Mick Foley and Paul Heyman. And I come at that from a very, sort of very similarly because they're both local New York guys and I grew up in New York. But Paul specifically, I've always kind of had this really strong connection to as a fan. Uh, you know, I, I grew up as a teenager going to ECW shows. I was a big ECW fan as a teenager. Um, he was this, you know, Jewish New York guy. Uh, seemed to be very proud of being Jewish. His his mother was a Holocaust survivor my, from Woods, Poland, where my grandfather is also from. Um, so always just had this very strong connection with Heyman. And he's just this creative guy who loved wrestling. So I I, I always really, really loved Paul. And I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that he's going to be running things again and, and we'll be able to see a little bit more of Paul than just his promos, which you know, candidly, have also been getting a little bit monotonous. And when I was at WWE.com, there was this long period for several months. I was talking about this with my friend Ryan Murphy uh, just yesterday, that we were reminiscing that there was a period of several months that 
we would try to find reasons for me to interview Paul. <laughs> because every time I would interview Paul, he would say something hilarious that we all loved. Or what we really loved about talking with Paul is, unlike a lot of the other talent that we would talk to, he spoke in paragraphs. So he would literally stop himself mid-paragraph while I'm on the phone with him and say, whoa, 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 whoa hold on, hold on. Let me, let me do that paragraph again. And and he would you could hear the gears kind of grinding as you talked with him, which was always just so, so amazing. And uh, I once um, spoke with him. I was doing a feature for WW.com, and the concept of the feature was uh, talking to talent and asking them uh, what they uh, would change in their career, whether it was a match result, um, uh, how they approached a certain uh, crossroads in their career, anything like that, what what they would have done differently and how that perhaps would have okay. changed the trajectory of their career. And Paul gave me a, he gave me a very Paul Heyman answer. And change one moment, one match result, one pro, anything that would change the course of the, the trajectory of your career. Does anything come to mind? I never look back. I only look forward. And the fact that this question has been asked of me demonstrates a lack of knowledge by everyone at WWE.com and reinforces what I continuously tell both Brock and Cesaro, Brock Lesnar and Cesaro, which is I am the last visionary left in this industry. What a heel. <laughs> uh, you want to do a uh, non-kayfabe answer? Or no? It's a legitimate answer. All right, okay. That's how I legitimately feel. Okay. Anyone who's ever spoken to Brock, I mean to Paul Heyman, knows that there's there is a, there's no distinction between between the work and the shoot for him. Yeah, it, it's really hard to get the real stuff out of him. Uh, that that was during a period when he really, really didn't want to be doing interviews like that. Yeah, and he would give me answers like that a lot. I think we had kind of. Um, uh, talked with him a little too much for .com <laughs> and his patience had maybe worn a little bit thin. But I, I love that clip because I think it's so quintessentially Paul. Yeah, it is. Well, so anyway, it's like I said, he's 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 taking over Raw. According to various reports, he was sitting next to Vince uh, in gorilla position through the course of Monday Night Raw. Oh, I hadn't heard that. And it wasn't just the Paul Heyman show. Um, it's not going to ever be the Paul Heyman show. No. Vince is not relinquishing any duty. He just no. has another person. That, I mean, the, another person that's between him and everything else, which is a huge positive. But regardless of who was sitting in Gorilla, this sure felt like the Paul Heyman episode of Monday Night Raw. No question. There was a shift. No doubt about it. So let's talk a little about this fantastic, fantastic show. Um, let's see. The show opened up with a big moment. Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley are having uh, the latest in a long line of uh, strongman contests. Uh, they have a no a no uh, a no holds bar or a false count anywhere match that ends with a no contest when uh, Braun Strowman sort of shoves Spears Lashley through the entrance wall, the wall of the entrance uh, at the uh, whatever that's called. Uh, yeah, the, the LED, the LED wall. wall. Yeah. yeah, it was a holy shit moment. It was first of all, he pushes him through. There's like an awkward 30 seconds of like fireworks, like actual like low-key fireworks going off as they, you know, presumably plummeted into this 
uh, electrical catastrophe. And uh, and then and Corey Graves paused and said very distinctly, "Holy shit!" And then the crowd, probably without knowing he said that, certainly without knowing, erupted into a holy shit chant of their own. That holy shit ha- had to have been planned, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. First planned. of all, it's on a huge delay. Raw is airs on a huge delay, so uh, nothing would get through the censors, you know, without unless it was deliberate. And also, Corey Graves wouldn't have made that mistake. And also, right? I think that's the key thing. And I wonder what what they told to USA, right? And did USA give them the go ahead to say, oh, okay, that that shit is okay? Um, you know, we're we're past eight p.m., so we're, we're allowing you one shit in this hour. Like, I don't know what the rules are, but yeah, it was interesting that it happened nonetheless. Yeah, no, I thought it was a. Uh, I, I mean, it, it was a it was a big moment and a, and a very Paul Hamany moment. Uh, and after that, they were taken to a local medif- medical facility. Am I right? I read somebody online say they actually said hospital this time. Did they say hospital? Apparently, like hospital is one of those like words you don't hospital say. Hospital is a word that that it's not a Vince word, right? It's a it's a local medical facility. I don't know what they said this week. The rumor is that they what that they would do that they didn't want fans going to hospitals looking for injured wrestlers. I'm not oh, quite sure that's... that anybody that's impassioned enough to go to a hospital, I don't think they would hear local medical facility and be like, "Well, maybe they're at a private place that I can't access." They would just still go to the hospital. Yeah, they're at, they're at Planned Parenthood. <laughs> <laughs> they're at a they're at like a mob doctor or something. Um, let's see. Uh, so that was a big moment. Yeah, and that's how those two guys should be used. You know, if one of if the heel, whether it's I know it's Lashley in this case, but. If the heel is not beating down a smaller cruiserweight style wrestler, then we should have two big beefy guys like this throwing themselves into jumbo. By the way, Titan Trunks. Yeah, I was I totally agree, and I was thinking about this last night. Maybe this is just like wrestling theory that I'm uh, wrestling theory fail. I don't think it helps. Like you're still making you. We've been the the, the Lashley project and the Strowman project, whatever. But the Lashley project has been a project since he came back. Right, making right. making it at least since he turned heel, making him an effective heel, making him effective. And they Leo him, Rush was a part of that project, right. and now Leo Rush is gone for good. We know that for sure. Somebody reported that he's functionally gone, but I don't know if that was a real report. That's a shame. Okay, he does seem to be taking independent bookings or something. Or he was at some point, but anyway, the the Lash even with Leo Rush, Lashley versus Finn Balor doesn't do anything for Bobby Lashley. And frankly, it doesn't do anything for Finn Balor if Bobby Lashley's not an established monster. That's exactly right, yeah. Like, the it, only, like you kind of, ha- if you're a villain, if you're a big villain, like the, the fighting a cruiserweight type, is gr- even though, whatever, Finn Balor is an established- You need to be dominant. Yeah, they, it needs, and that has to be like the payoff. It go, like you go up, 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 and then like your comeuppance is little guy can take you on. Right. Not just like this is going to make both guys. This isn't like PWG, right? Um. Anyway, this was a. You're right. This is an appropriate use of Lashley and Strowman, two guys who might have been penciled in for main event work one short year ago, but now they're you know they're sort of they're they're, they're they've figured out something to do when that's good. Um. Samoa Joe and the Viking Raiders. Oh yeah, the, the Viking Raiders versus the New Day, which is a big deal. For Kofi Kingston as a human being. Yeah. I apparently sent, I sent this around to the text group earlier this morning. Kofi posted on social media that um he uh took uh classes back in uh, his Boston training days um with uh with now he's now called Ivar, but back then I think he was uh, handsome Johnny. 
right? And they took classes together at the at CTC cha- Chaotic uh, Training Center, I think it was called, um, and or Chaotic. Well, I'm looking Wrestling. at a picture of Handsome Johnny on Wikipedia right now. It's a good looking fellow. And it took him, and he was sort of Kofi's mentor in those days. And uh, and then Kofi got signed. He was only six months into training, and of course, Handsome Johnny was not signed until he, you know, established himself as a part of War Machine, and then uh, became the War Raiders in NXT. And they finally got to wrestle each other on Raw this week, which was a, a big deal for for Kofi. And I'm sure uh, I was a big about deal to say, for... how old is Handsome? I guess he's not even he's not that old at all. But he just he was training Kofi, and Kofi was only six months in. Yeah. Wow. Um, big. So it started off as a. It started off as the the Viking Raiders. It's so funny how the, this Viking Raiders naming fiasco is just like we've totally forgotten about this now. I mean, it continues to be a joke online, but like, yeah, I yelled about it on this podcast. <laughs> you loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, so the Viking Raiders took were taking on what uh, Biggie and Xavier Woods, and then it turned into a three on three with Kofi and Samoa Joe added. Um, Kofi and Samoa Joe had a good show, to, like a microphone battle on SmackDown. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But I'm actually, and I mean, this Samoa, Samoa Joe's great. Samoa Joe's wonderful. I'm not, this is, uh, the wild card rule is still sort of befuddling. Sure, have we gotten to the point where we should just pretend there's no roster split and quit complaining about the wild? Is it easier to to forget the roster split exists than to complain about the wild card rule every week? Yes, that's easier. But I think we're going to see more of the, distinct rosters being a little bit more established now that we've got Bischoff and Heyman. Well, and you're going to have a network split too. And right. I don't, it's, I mean, there's going to be that huge tension about whether or not, I mean that, you know, we always talk about it. The, the Roman reign, you know, is Roman reigns going to be property of one show if, or whoever the top star is, is he, is, is either show going to be like, both both shows will be saying, will be, will be trying to claim the biggest stars as their own, but if they don't get them, then they're, then both networks are going to be saying, Give me like we need to share stars. I I wouldn't mind the wild card rule if it was more clear what that rule was, and if it was more streamlined. Only this many guys per week, three guys, you know, tops, mm-hmm. and it's announced in advance. So the week before, you're you have to put in you're your getting told. Oh, you got to put in your formal request in writing. <laughs> sure, yeah, you have to submit the proper paperwork. Um, yeah, I agree. The, the having keeping it to three is really hard because then you can't you can't have like the new day show up or at least that's that would be the entire maybe that's it maybe so yeah maybe so you definitely couldn't have the uh, dangerous alliance show up ah um but yeah I do yeah we'll just forget about it for now um Undertaker's back yeah this is so weird to me did he just never retire when he folded his duster in the middle of the ring well. No, I I remember. I feel like I remember distinctly that that Michael Cole refused to word, use the word retire. He was just folding his clothes nicely. <laughs> he was just putting away He's his laundry. doing laundry. Um, yeah, no. Uh, that he was. They they would say these sort of broad things like it's the end of an era, right? Um, He's passing the torch. You know whatever they said. Yeah, but this is really weird. So he came back specifically to work with Drew McIntyre. Okay. Or to, to to defend the man who di- who pseudo retired him, Roman Reigns. Right. Okay. He's got all this respect for Roman Reigns now. But I guess backstage, the the deal is that he specifically requested to work with Drew McIntyre. Oh, he did. That's what I've heard. Yeah, and and I think that's great for Drew. Um, but 
at the same time, he's beating down a broken down Undertaker. Yeah. You know, this is not the Undertaker of, you know, that match with Shawn Michaels that everyone freaks out about at WrestleMania. That was 10 years ago. He was an aging veteran then. Yeah. He could have retired then and never have been like, that's an appropriate end to the capstone of this career. Right. And now we're now here we are a decade later and he's still being trotted out for matches in the Middle East and against Drew McIntyre. Are we is the is the stuff that happens in Saudi Arabia actually part of continuity? I think it is because that's where Shane McMahon became the best in the world, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I know that it tech that it is in a Is it canon? I think it's definitely canon. Yeah. Un- unfortunately. Um I I I bet they wouldn't it, they wouldn't have any problem with like pretending a match didn't happen if it effect, you know, if like Whatever. Somebody was on like a twenty match. They realized somebody's on a twenty match winning streak minus a loss in Saudi Arabia. They'd probably just sweep that under the rug real quick. I, I mean, you know what else has been swept under the rug with Saudi Arabia? <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, so what, what else? What else happened that was very that felt very Paul Heymany on Monday night? Oh, of course. Uh, Mike Canellis and Maria Canellis came out of uh, came out of obscurity, if not retirement, to uh, to challenge. Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins. Now, on its face, this is like they they need to find various intergen- existing intergender teams to keep to to keep Seth and and Becky busy before their before their Extreme Rules showdown with um with Lacey Evans and uh, Baron Corbin. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get Miz and Maurice at some point, but I think the intergender. Right, we're getting thing- Andrade and and uh, Zelina Vega next week. Apparently, they're, oh, great. they're coming over to Raw to do that, but. The more interesting thing was the way that was what Mike and Maria did on Raw. They they interrupted a promo. They got a little bit of spotlight, which is something they haven't had for since wow, like a month into their return to WWE, like a, over a year ago. Oh, that was two years lo- ago, I think three yeah, years longer. ago. It was a long time. Yeah, and they were not made to look like shit. They looked f- fine. They weren't um, buried, is what I'm trying to say. They weren't buried, but but Mike Kanellis is. Uh, uh, manhood was a little bit buried at the end when, um, well, first of all, they by when Be- so they so it started off with Mike and Seth. Uh, they t- uh, Becky came, or, or Seth Rollins came into the ring and like forced a tag onto Maria so that Becky could get in. I believe that's what happened. And then Becky, I mean, then Maria said she can't wrestle because she's pregnant, which is actually a shoot on the work shoot scale. That turns out to be true, but then. She was like, "Mike, you you're supposed to take care of everything. Becky's the only man around here. Something, something." It was a very emasculated. I mean, this this is the storyline. It was he was fully emasculated in the ring. This felt kind of Haymany. I mean, it felt like something Vince would laugh at, but not necessarily something Vince would have like written himself. Yeah, maybe felt like something out of like to- like Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman. Yeah, <laughs> and and Beulah was involved. Yes. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, there is a lot of like campy relationship stuff going on underneath all those sheets of blood uh, back in the ECW days. But they were featured prominently, which is a which is a departure for how they've been used um, in the last several years. And it's clear that Heyman's trying to make his mark here. This is I, I think there's a lot of talk being made. Was this a good episode of Raw? I don't know if it was good. It was certainly different and there was certainly a shift, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really all they needed. So what does it week. signify? It, sign- it just signifies that he's willing to use these underutilized performers, maybe people that he has an attachment to, or just someone just will surprise the crowd. Or he just says, we need to get fresh faces right. here. Yeah. Just some just fresh or new blood or yeah. Um, and the other big Haymany thing that kind of happened this week was we got the debut of the Street Profits. 
Wright, who had a backstage encounter with Paul Heyman. Is it? Do you think it's? Is this a thing that they're going to be on Raw, or is this just like they deliberately just brought somebody over from NXT to sort of pop the crowd? No, I think they're on Raw with the NXT titles. I yeah, that they'll probably lose them very shortly. Do they have um, other? What, who who do they? Who was in that crew in their match that they had? I guess Undisputed Era, the Forgotten Sons are still around. I guess they can pull together a couple tag teams without too much trouble. I, I don't think the card has been announced yet for the SummerSlam takeover in Toronto. Uh-huh. Um, but I would assume that's where they're going to lose it. SummerSlam is is uh, early this year. It's um, it's August 11th, I think, in Toronto. So that's not a ton of time. That's less than six weeks away. So um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they lost the titles there. Yeah. Um I mean, they just won them. I guess that's. I guess that's just like this is the. That's how they pass the baton in NXT too. It's just you win the title. Yeah, but I don't think that when they won them, there was a plan for them to come up to Raw so quickly. No, they probably of course won not. them, of and then not. very shortly thereafter, oh, let's get them on Raw. Yeah. Um, and then the big finish of the show. Um, I'm not sure if this actually ranks on the Paul Heyman scale, but we finally got the shocking AJ Styles heel turn that we were all hoping for and we all could kind of see coming a mile away. Oh, we all saw it coming a mile away, but that didn't mean it didn't feel like a big moment. It felt like such a big... My, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go, it, I was just going to say, it just felt like a really, really big and important moment. They made it a big deal. They sort of telegraphed it the whole show, right? And then, and then it happens. So, someone reminded me this week that um, AJ and the club have been a thing in WWE before, which I did not remember. Yes. I guess three years ago. Sort of the same storyline, yeah. Which I did not remember at all. Oh, I, yeah. I remember when when the club debuted, there was a lot of chatter of, you know, are they going to reform a Bullet Club-esque type thing in WWE? And I don't recall it ever really happening in earnest. It's funny. Everybody, as soon as this happens, people are like, yeah, that's awesome. But then they're immediately saying, how is Finn Balor going to join too? Um it's like there's nothing will ever be good enough for the you know wrestling fan out there. But and all, I mean, and also Finn and AJ didn't overlap in the Bullet Club. Although I guess that would make a pretty cool stable. Um, yeah, the the right move is to do a Balor Styles rivalry, not to have Balor join the Bullet Club. Because they have Balor join and then try to usurp him, and then the the rivalry can originate from within the Bullet Club. I mean, there are a million different ways you can go with that. And that's that's certainly one of them. Um. Well, enough uh, enough fantasy booking for now. We'll be we'll fantasy book again in about forty five seconds. Um, but yeah, I think that I mean, actually, my only hesitation on Monday night was that I thought that there was I thought for a significant like thirty three seconds that it was actually going to be Ricochet that turned on AJ because they the way they choreographed it, Ricochet was further from the club than AJ, and AJ was kind of waving them off. I thought. This was like waiting for a Seth Rollins style like chair to the back of AJ's head. Oh wow, I didn't see that at all, and I would be shocked if they did that. I mean, they are so clearly so high on Ricochet. Oh, I agree, I agree, but like that would have been the surprise, right? If it was like now Ricochet is forming the club, and AJ and they and they're like trying to take out AJ. Yeah, but you know there are good surprises and there are bad surprises. Part of the reason why that AJ heel turn worked so well is because it was so satisfying to us as fans. Totally agree. Because we wanted to see it, but we also wanted to boo them. And that's kind of the perfect kind of uh, uh, combination of um, of feelings that you want in a moment like that. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, well, I mean, that was overall. I thought. I mean, what do you think? Was it a good episode of Raw? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I I don't know. It was definitely different. 
Um, it was better that, I mean, we were all excited about it. So like, yeah, okay, fine. You convinced me <laughs> or I convinced myself. Yeah, I guess, I guess now that I'm kind of talking it out, it was a good episode of Raw or at least better than it has been the last many months, right? Um, but I think if nothing else, it, it is the beginning of an upward trend um, more than anything else. Well, the um, fact that they were just that they seemed open to doing different things. I mean, it just it certainly just felt like there were little there were little differences. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what else they do. I mean, um, you know, we've talked for a long time about other things that they can do to spice things up. You know, I would not be surprised if Heyman did things other than creative to spice things up, like change camera angles. There was there was some interesting camera work on Monday night, just subtle stuff. But the overhead camera shot at the beginning, I mean, I guess that was kind of forced, but it did feel like I feel like there was maybe it was when the Undertaker came to the ring, was coming to the ring with Drew and Shane in there that there was some interesting camera work too. Yeah, I saw that being texted. I I didn't see anything. Um, nothing kind of drew my attention for that but i mean it's certainly possible and i just missed it well you certainly missed it but Heyman has had a lot of good moments in his uh in his career i want to talk about this and you came prepared with your top five paul Heyman moments in the history of mankind list i did i asked you to come up with a top five as well and you did not <laughs> i have a list here Okay, so how do you want to do this do you want me to go you through? just tell me your list and if any if, if, there, if i have anything on on my uh, madman scribbles over here that doesn't make your list, then I will mention it at the end. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. So um, when I was drawing up this list, um, you you texted me something really interesting last night. You said, are we talking about moments that he was involved with? Oh, or, right. Or moments that he sort of orchestrated, mm -hmm. right? So by that, I, I sort of figured you were trying to get at um, when he was writing SmackDown in 2003, for example, right? Yeah, so or, or at ECW. Or ECW, yeah. So I think that's kind of too large of a pool. I mean, I can do a whole a top 50 of best ECW moments, of which Paul orchestrated nearly all of them, right? So I didn't pull any of those, and I, I tried to... Um, uh, I came up with a list of about 10 or so, maybe a little bit more. And then I kind of picked my favorites and ones that are maybe a little bit more underrated and less talked about than others. So um, I'll just go from there. Sound good? All right. Sounds great. So my number five moment, September 3rd, 2012. It was Labor Day of 2012. Um, there's the main event of um, of Raw was, I believe, John Cena versus Alberto Del Rio for the title. And CM Punk interferes in that match. Right. There is a brawl backstage. Punk gives the GTS to- Wait, I is this where Punk won the title? No, he didn't. doesn't win the title oh, here. Okay, sorry. Wait, what, what event was it? This is on Raw. Oh, on, on Raw. Labor Day. Okay, okay. And uh, he gives Cena the GTS on top of a car. He gets in a car. The car begins to drive away. And you see Paul Heyman in the driver's seat. And it is revealed oh, that yeah. Heyman is connected with Punk. And of course, fans knew, you know, Punk is a Paul Heyman guy, et cetera, et cetera. And now they're going to be an on-screen tandem. That's my number five moment because Heyman didn't even need to say a word. And just him appearing on screen in the front seat of that car was another holy shit kind of moment. Yeah. And you could hear the pop from the crowd, right? So that's my number five. No, that's really big. I think the, I mean, that felt, that was one of those moments where like it was in, in, immensely satisfying. In retrospect, it feels, it, it, for me, it, it fizzles a little bit just because it sort of felt like another time where they decided to, I don't know, spice up CM Punk instead of, 
just like letting him be CM Punk. Yeah, but that partnership lasted for a while. I mean, no, they no, did... it was good. It was all very well done. But that's not. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, but I, I agree that was a huge moment. And... I, I was working for WWE at the time, and I just remember us all kind of freaking out when when that happened. Um, I have a similar moment to that uh, coming up later on my list. But my number four moment um, is uh, is is a tie, and it's two different Paul Heyman announcements in ring. At the ECW arena. Okay. One is in April of 1995. They were doing a an event at the arena called the Three-Way Dance. And it was a three-way match for the Tag Team Championship. The champions at the time were Benoit and Dean Malenko. And they were going to be defending their titles against the Public Enemy and the team of Sabu and the Tasmaniac. And this has had been right. a match that was built up for months. This was a very, very highly anticipated match, mostly because Sabu and the Tasmaniac had lost their titles and they were chasing Benoit Malenko for these. So this was going to be the big climax to this match. Sabu no-shows the show. He decides to work a show in Japan instead for more money and he no-shows the event and Heyman comes out in the arena and he shoots on Sabu and then fires Sabu live in ring at the arena. Now this uh, speech never aired on hardcore TV, but it's become a little legendary. Um, And what's great about this is it's a perfect example of Paul being very open and honest with the ECW audience. And not only is he firing Sabu, but he's also kind of putting over ECW at the same time. Right. And that's the perfect kind of type of uh, perfect example of the type of marketing that ECW had in those days and how Paul positioned the promotion. And that's a good segue into the moment that that is tied with, which was February 1st, 1997, almost two years later at the arena, Paul gathers all of the ECW talent in ring and he... He mentions each one by name and what they have contributed to ECW and then announces that ECW is coming to pay-per-view. And the crowd went nuts. Mm -hmm. Um, I like those two moments because they're both similar. Paul kind of announcing things in ring at the arena um, and and they're about putting over the promotion, which is not something that um, was really done in those days. Right. Um, and it's something that Paul did really well. And he did a number of other a uh, number of others, too. You know, he uh, he did a similar speech um, at the Elks Lodge in Queens, which is was ECW's other home. Sure. Uh, when they were able to get Cablevision's approval to air on pay-per-view. That came about a year after uh-huh. their first pay-per-view event. Um, that speech at One Night Stand at the Hammerstein Ballroom. They're all kind of similar ones, but I put those first two uh, as a tie for my number four moment. Um, wait, the, the One Night Stand one is which one you were talking about? Are you talking about the WWE era or WWF era? Yeah, the, the one in 2005 yeah. where he comes out and he says that's, to that's JBL, the only reason you were champ for <laughs> years because H- Triple H didn't want to work Tuesdays. And then JBL went and punched Blue Meanie in the... In the open, in the gaping wound on the back of his head. Yeah, I mean that's a reasonable reaction, I think. I was re, I was watching. I, oh no, who was it? Oh yeah, like Pritchard talked about this on his show about how like you know there was he, obviously he was shooting a little bit and it was like a re, and everyone was just sort of like. But everyone knew. Everyone knew what? Everyone knew what he the type of thing he was going to say. No one, I think, was legitimately upset by the things. Know, at least you, the boys. If you watch, if you watch the video, it's like it's easy to read legit upsetness into into JBL's reaction. He's up in the balcony, like. Like Edge is like ironically yeah. upset. Edge is like and, spitting out his beer, right? Yeah. 
doing a spit take. And JBL is like the react is doing like the reaction you give before you like like go out for a smoke and then come back in and cheap shot somebody. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I thought that was really good. What, so what's next on your list? My number three moment took place in November 1991. Do you know what this is? 1991. At center stage where WCW was filmed in those days. So this was the culmination of a storyline okay? where um, Rick Rude had been signed, just to give a little bit of backstory, Uh Rick Rude had been signed by WCW to the tune of a big paycheck Uh and uh, house show business was falling fast and they needed to do something to spice up the programming. And Jim Crockett had this idea to form a new version of something like the Four Horsemen. Oh right, this is on my list. I didn't have the I didn't have the date. Go ahead. Okay, and and it's and they decided to use Rick Rude as the centerpiece mm-hmm. as opposed to Ric Flair, and they would surround him with Arn Anderson, Larry Zbyszko, Sting's friend Bobby Eaton, mm-hmm. and Sting was the big rival of Rick Rude at right. that time. Um, plus Medusa would play the role of, uh, of baby doll mm-hmm. in the original four horsemen and Paul Heyman would be the JJ Dillon. Right. And then Paul convinces Crockett and Dusty, who was uh-huh. booking at the time that this group needed one more element and this one talent that he thought had a lot of promise was stunning Steve Austin. Yes. And, and this ends up forming the dangerous Alliance mm-hmm. and the dangerous Alliance had been a stable uh, for years in different incarnations since 1987. Yeah. But this was the dangerous alliance that everybody really knows and talks about and lasts for at least a year or so in WCW. Yeah. And Heyman saw the stardom of Steve Austin before anyone really did. He was a lower level champion. He was the TV champ at uh-huh. this time. He was kind of lost in the wilderness after splitting from Brian Pillman in their tag team. And if you have not People that are listening to this podcast, if you have not watched the culmination of this, this was the WCW show right after a clash of the champions um, where this whole kind of storyline came to a head. And the very next show, Paul kind of forms the Dangerous Alliance. That's my number three moment. That's That was the first thing I thought of when I was, I mean, it's, it's, especially when you're thinking of like non- Kind of ECW moments or whatever for for big frame and it was it was really cool. I mean, it's just like he just put he's able to put all those guys over and just like one. It's incredible. It's incredible, and and he did uh, that kind of thing very similarly. I mean, when he announced ECW is coming to pay per view, the moment I just referenced before, he brings the whole ECW crowd, the ECW talent roster in the ring, and he commends each one specifically, and he does the same thing here when introducing each member of the Dangerous Alliance. Um, do you think the Dangerous Alliance needed that extra element of sending Steve Austin? I mean, it did a lot for Steve Austin, I think. I don't know. It's a little bit weird to see two dudes standing there in sequin robes in retrospect and then three guys not. Well, and yeah, that that was, it was an interesting crew, but they were all deserving members. And, uh, I wish there was more, I wish they, there was just more, you know, fam, like wrestling stables like that. I mean, it probably makes my top three favorite stables. And I think now it's almost a little bit underrated. Did the other three guys, did Zabisco... And Anderson tagged for a while, and then didn't? Oh yeah, they Anderson were sort of and the new... Eaton ta- didn't they kind of freebird with the, the tag? Not like with the belts, but didn't they swap who the tag team of the group was a couple of times? Yeah, every now and then. But uh, the main tag team was was Arn and Zabisco. Yeah, um, and then of course they had that amazing 
War Games match at Wrestle oh, War yeah. 92, which is the best of the War Games matches. Yes. If anybody has not seen this match, you need to watch this. It's the Dangerous Alliance versus Sting's Squadron at War Games 90, at, at Wrestle War 92. Sadly, that's the that's the best of Sting's like team names that he had throughout the course of his career. <laughs> A little bit better than the dudes with attitudes. The uh, so yeah, so that's I, that's that is a surefire Heyman moment. What, what else do you have on your list? My number two moment, March fifth, two thousand one. This is in the heart of the Attitude Era, and there was a lot of turmoil going back, going going on behind the scenes at WWE at this time, and uh, and Jerry Lawler kind of very abruptly left WWE. Hell yeah. Um, and Lawler and Jr. of course had been the voices of the Attitude Era up to that point. And they needed someone to fill Lawler's seat. And because WWE was so hot at the time, you could not really replace Lawler with um, any kind of mediocre name. And this was right when ECW was going downhill. It had not officially closed yet, but it was almost there. And the camera sort of pans uh, next to JR. And there's Paul E sitting next to JR. And it was a shocker. And I remember watching this. I was you know, 15 years old watching 15, say 16 years old watching this. And I was such a Paul fan and an ECW fan. I could not believe uh, what, uh, what I was seeing. H- how could this be? How could he be there? Why isn't he running ECW? That and, was the big thing is that it did like, it's never a shock when somebody shows up in, in pro wrestling. Right. But there did seem to be like logistical impediments to him being there at that time. Yeah. And if you watch his document, his DVD documentary, Uh they talk about how Tommy was kind of running ECW in those final days. And Paul was a little bit uh, in absentia. Yeah. And um, that that tag team of announcers of Paul and Jr. that might be the best pairing ever. I think I mean, I remember at the time I was like, this is going to be the best ever. And. It wasn't. They didn't stay together for a long time. No, it was it was brief because he he lasted on microphone until uh, November of that year when the uh, when their Survivor Series winner take all invasion storyline yeah. kind of came to a head. So it was it was only you know nine months or so, whatever it was. Doing the quick math in my head, I think that might be wrong, but um, it was so quick. But I think Paul and Jr. were better than Jerry and Jr. Oh, ever. I love Paul and Jr. I thought that was. I mean, yeah, I think that that's got to be my favorite booth. Um, my number one moment. By the way, that, that when that when that storyline came to a head, was it that was that right before the Survivor Series is when that one of the one of the moments that I had jotted down was. Oh, I know what you're gonna say. The when he the 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 when he did the shoot the work shoot on Vince McMahon. Yeah, I hate your stinking guts. You stole my money, my legacy, all that. Yeah, you took Hulk Hogan's blood and built Titan Towers. You took Bret Hart's dream and bought a plane or whatever. You know, you like that was. As far as work shoots go, I actually think that the virulence of it took a little bit of the sting out because he was just like, there's no way you're saying this is somebody's face without their okay. Right, right, of course. And the, and the only reason it's not on my list is because everybody knows it and I didn't want to pick something too obvious. Yeah, that's a, but that's a huge, that's a, I think that's fair. It's a huge haven moment that we that just bears mention. But go ahead, what's your next one? And, and well, I, before I get to number one, I would say um, very closely related to that promo is the day after that Survivor Series when Vince fires Paul Heyman. Oh, yeah. And Paul, I don't believe, was on TV again until the build-up to the first one-night stand, which was three and a half years later. <laughs> yeah. Was Paul doing anything for WWE in that span of time? Yeah, he was. Was he uh, writing he SmackDown? Was, he was writing SmackDown. All right. And then, uh, and then went down to Ohio Valley Wrestling. Oh, that's right. 
All right. So he was employed. So he was he yeah, he was a big part of the company. He just wasn't on on screen at the time. Oh, you know what? No, I'm totally wrong. He managed Brock Lesnar in his debut. We're forgetting that. Okay. And that's a good segue to my number one Paul moment, which is when Paul returns to WWE in twenty twelve. Twenty twelve, yeah. About a month after Brock returns to WWE. And they realized very quickly that Brock could not cut promos. And Brock apparently said Backstage, someone get me my Jew. <laughs> and, I'm glad you said that. And <laughs> and uh, and they bring back Paul Heyman, and he has not left since. And that was seven more than seven years ago. And it's hard to believe that he's been back for that long. But I was working for WWE when he came back in 2012, and it was really, really secret. And there was sort of this known thing at .com that I was a big Paul fan and people kept it from me. And I remember I walked over to one of my colleagues' desks and he was preparing the Paul Heyman content that was going to be published either later that night or the next day after Paul returned. And I said, what's this? And my colleague said, oh, you weren't supposed to see this. (laughs) And Um, then they locked you in a closet for the next 48 hours. It was really embarrassing for everybody. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that I kind of have like the, the, the... Latter day, tw- the 2012 to present run of Paul Heyman and, and Brock Lesnar is like a lifetime achievement award. Now, obviously, it's hundred percent. Pla- it's plateaued a little bit, but I wrote a piece for Grantland back in the day about how Paul Heyman was WWE's most important performer. I remember that piece. That was a fantastic piece. And the argument was basically like, if you can argue that, you know, one of these guys who's like a mil- like Bret Hart, who you know, Chris Benoit, pick your poison. I guess it's a weird option there, but they, but you know, there's all these people who are like terrible on the mic, but they're like they're so good in the ring that you can say they're one of the best, you know, three wrestlers in the world, right? Pro wrestlers in the world. Then like, why can't just talking get you there? Exactly. And Paul Heyman was such a good talker for so well, much of that run. The reason is it's because it's called wrestling, not well, talking. Well, obviously, and it's a little bit of a you know. And art, you know, like I was deliberately sort of poking with that with that point of view, but right, but yeah, I mean, it was uh, um, yeah, all all that stuff. You know, my client Brock Lesnar con- conquered the Undertaker's undefeated streak. Yeah, that's all a lifetime achievement award. I would say that um, yeah, the one in twenty one and one. That's it. Yeah, exactly. And I, I the the other honorable mentions I would give is that whole run from eighty seven to eighty nine when he was managing Condry and Rose as the original Midnight Express. Oh yeah, against Cornette um, with the new Midnight Express that of Bobby and Stan Lane. Uh, that was when he jumped from AWA to, to Crockett. Um, and uh, one of my kind of favorite, more under the radar Paul moments is uh, when he was working for Studio Fifty Four. He promoted this event in August of '85. It was the first wrestling event that Paul Heyman ever promoted. He was um, presenting the first annual Wrestling Press International Man of the Year Award, which is an award that he totally made up uh, to Ric Flair, um, and he convinced uh, Crockett to send Flair. Dusty and Magnum TA to Studio 54 for Flair to receive this award. And they set up a wrestling ring in Studio 54. And it was also the wrestling debut of this guy that Paul Heyman had found named Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh, my God. So that's a that's my m- more under the radar Paul Heyman moment. Um, and then, of course, uh, my, my last honorable mention would be this the backstage speech he made um, that's featured on Beyond the Mat right before Barely Legal goes on the air. Uh, You know, people will pay for this, pay $20, hopefully, 
for the privilege of seeing what you guys do because this is the dance, right? It's that famous speech. Yeah, that that's a that's fantastic, and I think that's it's it, it's, it that's you know a good point to make is that probably the greatest Paul Heyman promos of all time did not happen on camera; they were happening like backstage when he's like hyping people up or trying to convince Vince to do something or trying to, um, but uh, you know just just trying to push somebody's buttons before yeah. they perform. And you know who they say does something very similar to and has a little bit of that quality is Mike Quackenbush, who runs Chikara. Uh huh. Apparently, his backstage kind of motivational speeches are are sort of equally uh, inspiring. Um, and so he, he maybe has a, has a little bit of that in him as well. Yeah. The only one thing that I would add to this list for mine. Yeah. Cause I had a lot of those moments too. Um, clash of the champions, 1991, Paul Heyman cuts a promo on Jason Hervey from the wonder years and then <laughs> smashes his mobile, his giant, uh, mobile phone over Hervey's head. One of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Oh my God, I remember that. That's fantastic. Um, and then he steals Winnie from Kevin, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was just an incredible WCW moment. Just as good as as good as it gets. Um, awesome. Well, that was our Paul Heyman uh, rundown. It's going to be fun to have him back. And hopefully his creative juices will continue to flow. Hopefully Raw will, will be as fun as it was on Monday night. SmackDown was a little bit less uh, revelatory. Um, I'm not exactly sure what uh if there's anything we need to touch on well i think it will kind of remain sort of stabilized as it moves towards the fox debut i think we'll probably get some big stuff happening uh to get you juiced for the fox uh switchover uh and then i think we're going to see a real shift once it's on fox i think i think a lot is going to change with smackdown that's my hunch i think that it's probably going to look different uh i know that the new logo has been floating around online um they're talking about doing a studio show uh Sounds like that studio show is uh, is a definite at this point. I hear they've been talking about Renee anchoring that. Um, so I, I think that a lot is going to change with SmackDown, and I think that we're gonna we're gonna see Bischoff's fingerprints on SmackDown in more of a slower build than uh, than they than we would with Paul. I'm looking at this new SmackDown logo right now. I somehow totally missed that. Um... Interesting that Roman Reigns and Kofi Kingston are front and center there because Roman Reigns, although he's a SmackDown talent, has he been on SmackDown? <laughs> well, hey, it's the wild card. Anything can happen. The wild card rule basically means that like Roman Reigns works Monday nights. Um, yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, I like that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. It could be a whole lot of fun. I guess the one thing that we might want to talk about with SmackDown is the promo that Kevin Owens cut on Dolph Ziggler, right? which was another kind of work shoot type of promo. Yes. Which is great. And, you know, Dolph's a buddy of mine. And I recognize that everything that Kevin Owens was saying was true. Um, and, uh, you know, made me feel for Dolph a little bit in that moment. Um, but, uh, yeah, Dolph has never really been given that shot. That one moment when he won the title with the Money in the Bank briefcase after WrestleMania that year, he very quickly um, shifted out of that role because he suffered a concussion. And he never was really able to reach those heights again. And um, Kevin Owens is right. You know, he he's they've never fully pulled the trigger on him. Yeah, there's obviously some reluctance. Um... And the rumor is that reluctance is that Triple H does not like Dolph. 
Oh, really? Um, that, I mean, that that has been the rumor for many, many years. Doesn't like his style or doesn't like him as a person? There have been all kinds of things. You know, uh, Triple H, I know, was very against Dolph adopting the super kick as his finisher um, after Sean retired. Uh, wanted to protect that move for Sean. That's one rumor that's been floating around. Another is that he doesn't think Dolph's promos sell matches. They uh, they just make you love Dolph Ziggler more if you already love Dolph Ziggler. Um, so, and I, and I see that point. I mean, that seems sort of, I mean, arbitrary. Or like, it, that's kind of a eye of the beholder situation, right? And the other rumor is when... Dolph did cash in the briefcase and he won the title at the Meadowlands. The rumor backstage was Triple H went around and said, yeah, let's hear him do that in Tuscaloosa. You know, the point being that he can do it in the big markets, the smart mark markets. Can he do it everywhere WWE travels to? Why do they keep giving Dolph all this money then? If it, Well, whatever. Because think- he's a really great performer and, and you don't need to have him at the top of the card for him to be a valuable commodity for your roster. That's true. That's definitely true. I mean, he's he might be the one person you can really, really, yeah, you can really say that about. I mean, obviously you can say that about a lot of people, but I think the, the feeling is that if, you know, fans sort of want to either book you into the main event or get you off the TV screen. Right. That's where we are right now. <laughs> um, but so anyway, he yeah, so that was a very interesting sort of, it wasn't like a full work shoot promo because they, they, weren't really that much at odds. Although Kevin Owens was sort of working face for the for the print, for the purposes of that interview segment. But it looks like we're probably going to get Kevin Owens versus Dolph Ziggler at Extreme Rules now, right? Sure, that must be where we're going. Um, I was sort of excited with the, about the prospect of seeing them in the tag division, just as like an odd couple tag team. But uh, we don't need it right now. We don't we, need it. Right we've now. got real tag teams right now. Finally, right? We've got real tag teams. Yes, we have Heavy Machinery, who is now entered into the match again with uh, Daniel Bryan and Rowan and uh, the New Day, the, the uh, Xavier Woods and Biggie edition. Um, and so, shout yeah, out to Andrew fun. Goldstein, uh, you know, telling all of us that he thinks Otis is the best thing that WWE's got right now, and I'm inclined to agree with him. He is a star. And not only is he a star, but his partner, uh, uh, Tucker, right? Uh-huh. Tucker looks lost next to Otis. I mean, I it's just such a clear disparity there, right? I know. That's like the, my, the only reason why I, I, I've said this recently. The only reason why I'm like hesitant to like heap praises on Otis is because I don't want Tucker to be unemployed. Like it just seems like a me. It just seems cruel to like to <laughs> to just usher Tucker like into whatever the next phase of his career is. You know, it's so funny. I, I in my you know in my day job, I I worked for a while. My client was Otis Elevator, which is one of the biggest oh, yeah. elevator corporations in the world. And every time Otis comes on screen and his Chiron comes on the lower third, I just can't help think of Otis because he's he's the size of an elevator. Yeah, roughly I mean, for the shape. Sakes, yeah, yeah, the shape of an elevator. Oh uh, man, that's funny. Uh, we got to get out of here, but we get, we'd be remiss to not mention Fighter Fest, which is this weekend. Um, I don't. I mean, honestly, I don't know the origins of this although everything that was conveyed to me along the way was that this was a minor show i should that it should not be counted as like the third in the line of AEW or spiritual AEW pay-per-views for all in and double or nothing well then they shouldn't have come up with a fantastic logo for it <laughs> and i was like well, why are they go- i don't know why they're going in into this like firefest uh like why they would want to like associate themselves with a the clusterfuck but that's fine it actually went <laughs> off really well um 
it was a good show. There was a lot of really cool stuff, and I think that overall they're getting a lot smoother and they're getting their creative down well, into what, pretty good. Dir- what I want to know is how did Tony Khan secure all of the bottled water for backstage? <laughs> did he have to resort to anything blue? Uh, you never want to know how Tony Khan gets <laughs> things done. Um, just a couple of notes before we go. Adam Page continues to sort of, uh, you know, they're they're just like keeping him warm for this big the main event push that is to come. Um, Cody Rhodes got a chair, or actually, we should say Cody Rhodes wrestled uh, uh, Darby, Darby Allen. Allen to a time limit draw. Kobe, I mean, Cody just, I mean, put a Darby Allen over. There's no other way to say it. Darby Allen's one of those guys that are like, I liked watching him on YouTube and just thought of all of the dudes that they're bringing over, he's not going to look, he's not, he's just not going to, you know, pass muster as a professional wrestler. He's not, he wasn't going to quite get over, but Cody, Cody did everything he could to make him look good and he made him look good. But the big thing that everyone's talking about with Cody Rhodes coming out mm-hmm. of this show is this chair shot he took from Ty Dillinger. It's Josh, who, Sean Spears. Sean Spears, excuse me. Still a perfect 10 or is he turned up to 11 now? Um, <laughs> he, he took a chair shot right to the unprotected chair shot to the head. I am not in favor of this. And I, I, it does not make me want to watch AEW. It makes me want to not watch AEW. If this is the kind of thing that they think they need to do to get attention, this is not what fans want to see. There's too much concussion I, research. I there. agree. I don't. I didn't have as much of a visceral reaction against it in the moment, although it does make me... It, it does give me a, a little bit of pause just in the sense that, like, are they going to have to... Are they going to really try to one-up themselves... Like to do a, a different thing that WWE has outlawed in every single show, and is it going to be well? If that's all you can think of, on... then I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you need to be more creative if you want to, you know, differentiate differentiate yourself from WWE, other than just taking an unprotected chair shot. Yeah, and I think this is a good example of why it's just like sort of overall unnecessary because it can be something as simple as like, hey, just lay it in. It's like you know, just you use stiff punches in a match to make people think, you know, to make it look more legit, and who knows. Who knows what the plan was? The plan was certainly not for the chair to wrap around Cody's head oh. and bust him open on the other side. Oh, just disgusting. Um, so yeah, that'll. Uh, I mean, you know, I always talk about WWE that like half the time they're doing when they when there's promos or, or big moments that they're actually the target audience is not the audience, but it's like the the people who are going to be watching the video packages later on. You know, like they actually like book for video package. It feels like sometimes. And this is one of right. those that, like, the picture of bloody Cody, like, reeling from the shot will live on in AEW lore, and it will, you know, we won't be complaining about sure, it Sure, that, that's that's a positive that came out of this for sure. Do you want to talk about what Kenny Omega had to say about this Evolve show that WWE is putting on their network? What do you say? This uh, Oh, that he was mad about the timing or whatever? Right. That Evolve is putting up a show... That uh, di- uh, that is going to be on WWE Network that directly conflicts with uh, AEW's show Fight for the Fallen. Right, which is a big show for them. And Kenny Omega was very upset about this. I think it is ridiculous that he was upset about this. Um, just because AEW is running a show, whether for a charity or not, does not mean that the entire wrestling business has to take a step back and can't promote a show on the same day. Well, That's insane. I agree. And like... This, if if indeed it was done with malicious intent, which I like, don't think it was, this well, was but, probably planned for a while. Then that's what Triple H said. But if but if in, but if it was planned specifically to run counter to them, then congratulations, you're in the big time. WWE cares about you enough to counter program. You know this has happened any number of times in pro wrestling history, and it's never almost never a bad thing. And this is, shows that there's competition. This is evidence. Like 
more people will be watching because there's two things going on in one night. Yeah, and also, if you are an AEW fan that had planned to watch AEW Fight for the Fallen, and then you hear that an Evolve show is happening, very little chance that you're going to say, eh, never mind, I'm going to watch Evolve instead. No. The very be- unlikely. The few people that are watching Evolve are going to, you're not going to be able to read about Evolve or WWE, for that matter, without reading about Fight for the Fallen. Right. I mean, it's going to, it's, it's, it's promotion. And add to that that, that Kenny Omega is a is an executive vice president of the company. You know, just generally a bad look for him to be out there. Compl- It'd be fine yeah. if he was just running his mouth as a talent, but it's a little bit of a different look. All that said, I don't care. He can yeah. be upset. No I mean, I not. understand that he was upset and I understand why he was upset. It's not a matter of whether or not he should have been, he should have, you know, had his feelings hurt about it. It's a matter of like how he expresses that or whatever, but that's fine. That's fine. They're still, they're all still figuring out as, the, as they go. It should be said, I mean, we, before we get out, we should say that, uh, John Moxley beat Joey Janela in an unsanctioned match uh, on Fighter Fest that was hilariously gnarly. A lot of big spots of barbed wire and everything else, and, and tables, and um, most notably thumbtacks that that uh, Joey Janela ended up losing by like getting dropped bare feet, barefoot into a pile of thumbtacks, and it was just. I mean. I don't have any problem with this. I thought it was well done, and I don't want to see this kind of match every night. This isn't my thing, but no, it was but the right use of Joey Janela right. and John Moxley. And I think that's the type of thing that is violent enough that they can do every now and then to differentiate themselves from WWE. Yeah. Uh, before we go, I do. I have oh, something. And and, for- and and the reason why I mean that ties in is because um, is because Kenny Omega came out at the end, beat up or attacked John Moxley, and we have our sort of heavy or 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 headlining feud, I think, moving forward, or for the time being in AEW, which is a pretty cool, I mean... And that, that's a that's a great marquee match, and, someone and, told and that's you, the direction they should be going If in. someone had told you 18 months ago that there was going to be another Fed that had Omega versus Dean Ambrose in the main event picture, you would have been pretty freaking And stoked. it was going to be airing... That, that, that promotion would air on basic cable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, pretty incredible. It's going to be big. When that show gets on, it's going to be... All bets are off, man. Um, I do have... Before we go, uh, I have something for you. And I thought it'd be this fun. This is not planned. I don't know what's happening right here. Um, and I thought it'd be fun to give this to you on air and hear your reaction to this item. I hope that it's a giant portrait, or just photo of yourself, like when The Rock. Get, oh no, this is it. This is the holy crap. This is the um, LJN right original figure of Captain Lou Albano, it, and it's. I think it's an incredible condition. In immaculate I've, condition. I've had it uh, displayed on my uh, on my secretary desk in my obnoxiously mid-century decorated Brooklyn apartment for the last several years. This and, is amazing. Uh, I'm moving in with the valet and selling my place, so I need not to- my, uh, Not my valet, no. separate valet. Yeah, we have our own valets, yeah. Uh, moving in with Amanda and uh, needed to um, to purge some of my wrestling goods. And every now and Did then- Did she when make I'm, you purge? Uh, it was a little bit of column A, a little bit column implied. B. <laughs> Um, but yeah, every now and then I'll, I'll shoot over a text to the Jew World Order who wants some of my old wrestling stuff and I'll throw some photos up and <laughs> no one has ever grabbed something as quickly off of those messages as you wanted that figure. Well, I happened to be on at the time and uh, <laughs> I don't, I, I've actually pared down all of my wrestling, you know, knickknacks to almost none. But the one, like one of the things that I still have staring at me every day at the kitchen table is a Bobby the Brain Heenan LJN. 
And I was just like, I oh, fantastic. Yeah. So it, it, it seemed to, it seemed to fit. And I gave I, uh, our, our mutual friend, Peter Rosenberg, a, a Heenan LJN, which was displayed on the set of his complex uh, YouTube show. Oh, what a great show. Uh, but yeah, I'm getting rid of a lot of stuff. I have convinced Amanda to let me uh, keep framed on the wall a Bruno Sammartino versus Gorilla Monsoon placard that is sort of like a match card that is like framed on my wall. It's very cool. Oh, that's really good. You should just, you know, just 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 sneak a bunch of other things over there on the wall too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. One thing's enough. We all love wrestling. Wrestling, our love for wrestling is in our hearts and in our minds. It doesn't have to be on all of our walls. At least not when we, you know, settle down. Um, anyway, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me, David. My, Always a pleasure. My greatest uh, Paul Heyman moment was talking about him on the show with you today. <laughs> That's very sweet. Not true, but yeah, I mean, it sounded good. Uh, okay. Happy 4th of July, everybody. Enjoy uh, the nation's birthday. Enjoy... Well, there's no pay-per-views this weekend, so that's something to celebrate. Watch a Dell Wilkes itself. match, maybe? Yeah, everybody go watch a little Dell. Who's your favorite All-American wrestler? American Dream Dusty Rhodes? Uh, sure. The Patriot? Yeah. Uh, Babyface Slaughter? Yeah. The All-American uh, um, Lex Luger? Hacksaw. Hacksaw Jim Duggan beats people up. Um, Bob Backlund, when he was running for president. That's my vote. All right. Um, I am going to stick with Dusty Rhodes, because why not? Uh but um, thank you guys for listening. Apologies, as always, to John Moxley. We'll see you back here next week. We are desperately out of time. The tape machines are rolling. We'll see you next week on the Mass Man Show. 